Last week we began a series entitled Hope in the Dark, uh, Believing that God is Good When Life is Not. Uh, if you were not with us last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to jump back and listen to last week, not because um, anything great or any, you know, unbelievable, significant thing um, that I said, but just so you can continue with us over these three weeks and know this is really one giant sermon that takes three weeks for us to get to as we look at the book of Habakkuk. Um, It is in the Bible. It is in the Old Testament. It is not something that we look at very often, um, but it is a great opportunity for us to take an honest examination of where we are in our faith. Because this series is not for the faint of heart. I just want to tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. Last week, I I had to practice in my mind, in my office, a million times that opening story of the Hallmans last week uh, so that I didn't fall apart while I was sharing it with you guys. But apparently somebody, um, one person emailed me and said, could you please tell us um, online on the podcast if if you're going to make us weep so that we can pull the car over before that happens? Um, so we're not probably going to go quite there yet today. Um, but this, again, it's not for the faint of heart because we don't live in a faint of heart world. We don't live in an easy world. And the reality is sin in our lives and sin in this world has broken everything that we know. It has had ramifications on our health. It's had ramifications on our relationships, on our futures, on our finances, on our relationships. And so because of that, life is rarely easy. We want an easy life, but it's rarely easy. If you're young in the room and you're thinking, man, I can't wait till I become adults, things will be easier. Ask the adults, they'll wish they were teenagers again when life was easier. It doesn't get easy because we live in a broken world. Habakkuk knew that. He knew the children of Israel had disobeyed. He knew the children of Israel were under the leadership of of God and that he was coming to the Lord in Habakkuk 2,600 years before the birth of Jesus, 4,600 years ago before us. And he has a conversation which is a little unique. In the Old Testament, there's prophets that God gives a message to and he speaks a message to a prophet. The prophet takes the message, delivers it to, in most cases, the children of Israel his people. And he says, hey, here's how you need to turn. Here's how you need to change. This is what you need to do. But this instance in Habakkuk, we get to take a look at something and it's called a dialogue. Habakkuk shares some things on his heart. The Lord responds. Habakkuk replies. The Lord responds. Habakkuk waits. The Lord responds. We're going to see this back and forth as we walk through this. And I'm encouraged by this because one of the reasons I think we may have stayed away from Habakkuk for a while because it's just brutally honest. And it says some things and asks some things that at times I think we're a little hesitant to ask. The opening verse or the second verse in chapter 1 of Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not save. How long will you cry for help? How long will you not hear? Do you hear what he's asking? God, do you hear me? Are you there? Why are you allowing me to suffer? Why are you allowing your people to see and experience violence and difficulties? Those are questions that we have asked. 
in this broken, sinful world, those are things that we have posed or in our mind we've wanted to say out loud, but we couldn't imagine, can we say those things? Can we ask those questions? And Habakkuk clearly gives us an example of awe and reverence, but he does it in a way that we saw last week, that you cannot embrace and wrestle with God from a distance. I want to make it really clear, Habakkuk is not asking these questions and then running away from the Lord. He's asking these questions as he's embracing the character of God. I know who God is. I know he loves his people. I know he's salvation. I know he's made his promises, but I'm wrestling. Do you hear me? And the same is true for us. But we go through seasons in life, circumstances in life that bring us face to face with hardships and I think we've got a couple ways that we normally respond, and they're really extreme ends of the spectrum. We have what I would call the Sunday morning walking into church response in life. And what I mean by that is I have rarely, in 20 years of being at Rich Fork, have I had somebody walk in the lobby, and as they're walking in, you know, they're getting dropped off at the front or out in the back, and the pastor's out there, right? And I'm smiling, I'm shaking their hand. Hey, how you doing? Oh, it's great. Ooh, it's wonderful. And their kids are going, what? Did you... Were you in the car? It was not wonderful. It was not great. But we slap on the Sunday morning facade, and some of us try to exist spiritually there. We know we're going through a difficult time, but we'd rather pretend and stay up here because it's hard to ask, it's hard to wrestle, it's hard to embrace. It takes us into some places and some moments in our faith that are difficult. And then there's the opposite side of that. There's some who just put on the facade. And there's some who've experienced a negative moment or what I would say is an unanswered moment in the way they want it or way we want it moment. And they get deep into a spiritual valley or you get deep into a valley and you just say, you know what? I'm out. I'm not even going to hide it. God did not move the way that he could or should have. Therefore, I'm going to run away from the Lord. God could have helped me but it appears he didn't, therefore I'm going the other direction. God, if you love me, you wouldn't allow me to go through this, so I'm out. And if there's nobody in this room that has experienced that, I think the reality is there's nobody in this room that's honest enough to admit it. And if there's nobody in this room, I promise you, your relationships, your families and friends are full of people who have said, you know what, life's okay. And there's people who are very far from God because they say, I prayed and it didn't happen. I asked and it didn't come true. I believed and it didn't take place, so I am out. I want to offer you, out of Habakkuk, a third option this morning. But it's an option that I can tell you ahead of time, we're not good at. So this morning, we're going to look at what that is and that other way to respond in the middle of those difficulties and then how do we get better at it. So one extreme is, hey, I want to put on the facade. The, the other extreme is, I'm just going to stay angry and bitter and remove myself from anything spiritual. The third one is this, I'm going to wait on God. Because contrary to our feelings, just because things aren't going my way doesn't mean that God's not working. There's so many moments in life that we must learn to wait Moments that help us grow, that we wrestle, we embrace, we experience. But Habakkuk does something for us. He sets an example for us. Habakkuk doesn't stand at a distance. He doesn't cross his arms with a frown on his face and go, well, I'll wait. 
angrily, hastily, bitter. No, listen to what he does while he waits. He waits actively. Waiting for him is not passive, it is active. Listen to chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. See where he places himself? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm going to go up to the watch post. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But if we existed in this culture, most townships, most areas would have had an elevated building that you could go up into, and you would go up into, and those in the military would go up and look for the purpose of what? Scanning the horizon to see if the enemy's coming, watching out for what's taking place. And what does Habakkuk do? He doesn't go down in the dungeon and pose his question to the Lord and shake his fist and cross his arms and go, I'm waiting. I'm not doing anything. I'm not praying. I'm not listening. He'll have to move. I'm just going to hang out down here in the basement, and I'm going to be miserable at it. What does he do? He says, I'm going to go to the watch post. And to me, this communicates something to you and I. Habakkuk expects the Lord to move. It may not be on the time that he can imagine. It may not be the way he can imagine. But Habakkuk's going to go up to the watch post and he says, I'm going to station myself there and I'm going to look out and see what you've got for me. I'm going to take a glance. I'm going to look over the horizon. I'm going to wait for the Lord to move. Now here's the problem. We are terrible at waiting. You are terrible at waiting. I am terrible at waiting. If you want me to test you on this, you could have gone with me this summer to the DMV at 7.15 on a weekday morning. Don't pick on the DMV. We're going to talk about that in just a second, all right? 7.15 in the morning, my son and I go. we got to get his restrictions off his license. We get there at 7.15 thinking, man, we'll be there early. Nobody will be there. Ha! Huh. At 7.15, we're ninth in line. There's been budget cuts, so instead of four people there working, there's two people working. We're ninth in line. By the time the doors open at 8, there's 25 more people behind us. There's 34 people in line. All we need to do is snap a picture, turn in our little log sheet, and walk out of there. Maybe it could happen by 9 o'clock. We have another appointment, 9 o'clock. We met some friends there that we knew through a relationship in our family, and they later on told us that number 9 got called at 11. We were not there. Number 25 or whatever the number was got called at 1 p.m., all right? So it wasn't moving real fast, but now just, just pause in case you work for the DMV. All right, I'm not beating you up. You had budget cuts this summer. And let's face it, some of you pick on the DMV po- folks because they sometimes seem a little upset at you. Think about this. If every day you went to work, you knew that you were going to get in a car with somebody who could not drive and give them permission to drive on the roads, you'd be a little upset too. Every day they go to work, they have no idea who they're getting in the car with or if they can drive or if they cannot drive. So give them a little rest, all right? Treat them the way that you wish to be treated. Back to the words from the hill. But we're terrible at waiting because everything in our culture says, I want it now, I want it when I want it. If your phone breaks this week and they release a new phone, 
You do not walk into your cell phone provider and say, hey, could, could you give me a slower phone? I'd love a slow connection. I'd love if, if you call your cable company and say, hey, you know, I've had 100 megabytes for a long time. I'd really like to go back to 10 megabytes. Nobody in this room. It doesn't matter if you're 10 or if you're 110. You get on the internet, you do not want 10. Some of you remember the dial-up days. Nobody in this room would say, take me back to AOL, all right? Take me back to that moment. Why? Because you want to download that YouTube video immediately. You want your digital music when you want it. You want good bandwidth for Fortnite. There's a handful of you guys in the room and ladies that just understood. The rest of you that just went over their head, it's totally okay. In order to watch and read, maybe this will get a little bit more of us, in order for you to get all that truthful information from Facebook, you've got to have good download, right? That was being facetious, all right? Fast food is called what? Fast food. It's not slow food. Why? Because you want it when you want it, because we are impatient people. We're terrible at waiting. Some of you work in industries. I, I looked out this morning in the first service, and on one side of the room, I saw a gentleman who paves roads, and one guy on the other side of the room who builds bridges. If you want to ask them if we're impatient people, they're going to tell you that you are. You're bad. I'm bad at waiting. If the dentist is 10 minutes off schedule, ha, huh, your day is ruined, and it's all their fault. If the car repair that should have taken 10 minutes takes two hours, it's suddenly your, not your car's fault, it's the mechanic's fault, and they've ruined your day. Or, hey, let's get really personal. I, wow, you just started preaching a few minutes ago. We might get out of church late. I'm a pastor. I, I gotta, there's a football game on today, and I, I got to get set up for it. I don't know what time your team plays, all right? I got to get set up. It's tomorrow night, but I got to get set up for it. And if you go over six minutes, you're going to mess up my whole schedule. Why? Because we're terrible at waiting. We want things when we want them, how we want them. We are terrible at waiting on insignificant matters in life. How much more are we at waiting on the important things, the things that matter? The things that might take years to see an answer to. I'm praying for healing. And if, it's not, if it does not happen tomorrow, then God must have it wrong. If I don't get an answer to this situation at work by tomorrow at 8 a.m., then God must not be listening. We cannot put God on your internet speed and make demands of him to meet your expectation of time. That's what he is about to unveil to this prophet. Hey, you go and you wait. You get in the watch post. You look and you see. We're terrible waiters because we want things fast. We want things now. And we're also terrible waiters because waiting sometimes requires us to be still to cancel out the noise and just listen.
30 seconds is a long time, isn't it? I didn't forget my notes. It says right here, 30 seconds, no noise. Some of you started fidgeting with your pocket, like, ooh, was that a buzz on my phone? He's being quiet. I can check my email. You're waiting at the doctor's office. Oh, I got, I, got, I got 30 seconds here. I can do this. I can. We can't wait very well when we don't listen very well. I'm preaching to myself as well. So the Lord, verse 2 says, and the Lord answered me. So he's on the watch post. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Pretty simple statement. Now again, understand on a, on a larger scale here, this prophetic message from Habakkuk is about the nation of Israel getting their information from God about their enemy in chapter 2. But I want us to see the form of which God did that. Not necessarily to look at the prophetic message itself, but how did God speak to this prophet? What was this relationship about in this waiting? How did God speak to him? How did he teach him? And what did he teach him to do while he's waiting? While he's waiting on himself to move. What did he teach him? One of the things he instructed him to do that I believe that we can take hold of, and some of you already do an incredible job of this. Some of us don't do this at all. He says, write down the vision. Make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, one interpretation of that last little phrase, so that he may run who reads it, is the idea that Habakkuk should write this down in such a way that when the people from the nation of Israel or the enemies are running by this message on a tablet, that they can run by and see it. It's large print. Hey, when they're running by and the enemy is coming, let them see this was foretold. But what I want to see is one of the things that some of us, are, you guys are incredible at, it's, it's writing down your relationship to the Lord. I, I saw one of you posted several months ago that for the last 12 years, I think that was the entirety of you being a follower of Jesus, you've journaled and you've got a bookshelf full of journals of moments. Some of you don't journal in that same form anymore. Some of you type out your journals. Some of you post little notes um, in, your, in your phone that remind you of certain dates and something to jog your memory. Me, I carry around these little journals in my pocket. Um, if you happen to see one laying around, it's probably mine, all right? Um, it's just black, and it's got a little Rich Fork logo on it, and I use it for all types of things. I use it for ministerial purposes. I use it for personal moments. I just jot down some ideas, jot down some thoughts, it, and I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll grab my phone, I'll put the note in, and I usually get up in the morning and take that little note and put it in my notebook so that I have it. And so this week, this week, um, I was cleaning out a bag in my office. No plan to do this. I was cleaning out this bag in my office, and I, and I opened up this zipper, and in this zipper was this. It was from 2015-16. And, and, and as I started looking, December and January 2016, I started looking through here, and, and I started seeing a few things. And, and this isn't a preacher story, so I just want to say this to you. There's a couple of people on this first page that I was praying for their healing and now they're in heaven. Well, pastor, I, it didn't go the way you wanted. No, but I can look back and see 
And I was praying that the Lord answered in a, in a greater way, in a way that I would not even have imagined praying. I can also look right here on page two. I, I didn't even get back to the, to the middle of it. This one's not even full. I got to the second page, and there was a specific person I was praying for, and their marriage that was this far apart, and now it's this close. It was so awesome. Three years later, open up and go, whoa. It's also so awesome to, to look in there. Sometimes I do this. This is not a write-the-tablet thing. This is just some pictures. There's pictures of my kids when they were uh, really little. First picture that I ever have of Sonia in here. The picture of my, my this little, on a side note, this picture says 41127. What 1927 moment happened in my life? None. All right, uh, just a little side thing there. ADD gets you every once in a while. Then there's a picture in here of two men that have just mentored me in ministry and loved on me. There's a picture in here of a dear friend of mine that now has spent six years worshiping the Lord face to face. And this all of a sudden can silence the enemy telling me untruths. Habakkuk writing this down would allow the Israelites to see in their past, this is what God promised he would do. This is how he's going to work. This is how he's going to move. These moments that we jot down, however you choose to jot them down, give us opportunities to come back and say, whoa, I forgot that I was praying for that. I forgot that that God answered that. I forgot that I quit praying about it. It was important then. I quit praying about it. It still hasn't changed. So in your worship guide this morning, there's some on the table on your way out if you didn't get one. There's just a, a little front and back piece of paper here. There's nothing magical about this, but since you may not have a way, this, this is an easy way. For the next two weeks, next two weeks, grab this little piece of paper, fold it up, put it in your pocket, however you want to do it, and jot down a prayer. Jot down a scripture. Jot down a moment. Jot down a prayer request. Jot down a conversation that you've had with somebody. And just over two weeks, keep looking back and then tuck this away and come back to it and begin to see how God continues to move in our hearts while we wait. Satan wants to take from you what God has given you. And one of the ways that we can keep that in our hearts and our minds is, is jot it down. One of the ways that we can be better at waiting is to write it down. Answers that happened in the past can encourage me and you in the future. Jotting it allows, allows me to come back to the promise, to the prayers, to the scriptures. Then he reminds Habakkuk, you wait on a specific time. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, read that word with me. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is the Lord speaking, his response to Habakkuk. He's on the watch post. He's waiting. The Lord says, hey, the vision has an appointed time. This word appointed time is the word mohed, which is a, an affixed time of something of hope. This is not a, merely an appointment. You, you have an appointed time to go to your doctor visit this week. That's not this kind of appointed time. Instead, take this thought, appointed time, and put a four-year-old on Christmas Eve. And you're trying to get them to go to bed. But they know Christmas morning something's going to happen in your house. 
I don't know how it happens in your house, that's up for debate. But Christmas morning, something's going to happen in your house, and they go to bed thinking, I can't wait till tomorrow morning. I can't wait to see what's happening. I can't wait to see which presents I get. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to go to Grandma's house. I can't wait to... That's the idea that we need to have in our mind when he communicates this. It is waiting with expectation, waiting with hope, not crossing our arms going, man, I'm waiting for another appointment in life. No, I'm waiting on a divine movement of God to happen in my life. And I believe it can happen in my life. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay out of one of the study guides for Hope in the Dark, the book that we uh, told you about last Sunday, they make this statement about this appointed time. It says this, if it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. That's what's being said here in chapter two. He says, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It's going to happen in God's time. You can't make him do it, and you can't stop him when he's going to do it. The spouse that you long for, when God desires in his time, the prayers that you've been praying in his time, maybe you've been praying for what seems like forever for someone you love dearly to come to Christ. But the harder you pray, the farther they seem, further they seem to wander from the Lord, so you wait. You might be asking God for another kind of miracle, for someone to be healed for someone to be freed from an addiction, for a promotion, for a spouse, for your spouse. For, so you pray and you wait. You're brokenhearted by a rebellious child. You've read every book. You've quoted every scripture. You've prayed every prayer. And the Lord says, wait. So we do more of what we've been doing, but we do it with expectation. But hear me, we don't do it based on our expectation of who we are we wait with expectation based on the character of God. This is fundamentally different than many of our days of waiting. We wait with expectation. We wait on that appointed time, not because of who we are or our circumstances, but we wait based on the characteristics and the character and the movement of God. God, I trust you to move. I trust you to bring an answer because I've read in your word, you bring answer. I trust that you'll deliver because I have the beautiful gift, and you do as well, that Habakkuk is looking forward over the horizon to see how God is going to move. You and I have the beauty and the opportunity to look in the rearview mirror and see what God has already done. You see, you and I have the opportunity to look and say, saying, where is hope in the darkness? We can say, there is hope in the darkness because of the character of God is so great. He is, as we sang, a good father. He is great. Why? Because before you knew you needed saving, he sent his son in the past so that he could become a payment for your sins and for mine. So he moved for you, before you, for you, and that gives you a reason to trust him in the future. Hope in the dark because of the character of God gives us the ability. We hinge it on who Jesus Christ is and the resurrection. We hinge it on a God who's offered salvation. We hinge it on a God that we're able to say, God, I put my hope in you. 
Because of what you've done in the past, I'm going to trust you with the future. I'm waiting with expectation. Early this morning, I started wrestling with this idea very quickly. One of the things that's important that we learn how to wait is this. While you're waiting, don't make things worse. While you're waiting, don't make things worse. Pastor, I've been out of work for two weeks, and uh, I know God's going to give me a job. So I'm going to go home, sit on my couch, drink Dr. Pepper, watch the NFL on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'll just wait for him to move. Don't make matters worse. Go fill out an application. Maybe that's too simple. You're in financial ruin. If you were just honest with somebody else in the room this morning, your debt is up to here, your, your decisions of debt are up to here, and you can't even imagine how you're going to, you can't even think about participating in an offering at church. That's so far because of where you are. And tomorrow morning, you drive past the car lot, and, you, and you're just drawn in, right? You just, you just pull right in, and you go in, and you make matters worse. If I can speak to those in this room who are single or have been married and you're single again, can I just be really blunt and honest with you? While you're waiting, if God desires for you to have a spouse, while you're waiting, don't make the situation worse. Do not involve yourself in a relationship with someone that is running from the Lord and expect it to draw you closer to Him. Don't hitch yourself into a relationship that's going to leave you carrying more luggage up the journey into the next relationship. While you wait, well, pastor, I'm just waiting for that perfect person. Well, while you wait, you become that person. And then wait. And then wait. You keep searching, you keep looking to become more like him and let him deliver. Don't, don't make matters worse. Get up in the watchtower, spiritually speaking. Move up spiritually and say, God, I'm looking. I know you've done this in the past, but God, this is in my future. This is what's taking place. And look with expectation. And while you're looking, write down the things of God. Study the promises of God. Record the promises of God. Prepare your heart for the movement of God so that when he moves, you know it's him. I love that in Scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, we have images and pictures of people who had to wait. And they were faithful even in their waiting. One of those is a guy by the name of Apostle Paul. If you don't know him, uh, flip over to the New Testament, get through the Gospels and a couple other books and start reading. Most likely he wrote it. He was not a follower of Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus. And for the majority of life, he wrote about something that plagued him physically or emotionally or spiritually. We don't know which one, but he called it a thorn in his flesh. He said this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness. 
I'm content with insult. I'm content with hardship. I'm content with persecution. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And while we wait, we have faith. While we wait, we have faith. He speaks of this in chapter 2, verse 4. The beginning part, he speaks of those who are proud. The, the Lord does. And then he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. He is, it is not upright with him. But the righteous shall live by faith. If you think you've heard this before outside of Habakkuk, you have. It's all over the New Testament. And you thought Paul came up with it. No, God came up with it, gave it to Habakkuk. He also gave it to Paul. He also gave it to the writer of Hebrews. He also gave it to other writers and said, hey, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who are right living will live by faith. And faith precedes understanding. Some of you are saying, man, I, when I, I'll come into a relationship with God that you speak of, Pastor, when I understand everything that's going on around me. You'll never come. Faith precedes understanding Faith is what we see when Noah obeyed and built the ark. Faith is what we see Abraham and Sarah received the son that God had given them. Joseph in the Old Testament overcame betrayal and slavery and false accusations by faith. By faith, the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho and they came tumbling down. These people were not perfect. They made mistakes. They had infidelity. But what did they have? They had faith. And they believed in the character of God and they trusted and they waited. But then Habakkuk is given these words. Verse 20. I'm not skipping verse 5 through 19 uh, on, like, as they're not important, but those are him giving the prophetic message of what he's going to do to his enemies. I want you to see what God says about himself. So God is still speaking to Habakkuk when he says this to him in verse 20. He says, But... The Lord is in his temple. Okay. Habakkuk, he's on the watchtower waiting. The Lord says, but the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is saying, but the Lord of himself, I, the Lord God, am in my right place. I am in control. You can't force me to move Habakkuk when I don't want to move. You can't stop me when I am going to move. But you need to wait. And when I move, just know this. I am moving from my home, my eternal place, and I'm in control. Now, growing up, every once in a while, my dad would travel. Actually, a lot. My dad traveled. And if there was ever a phrase that you did not want to hear from my mom, it didn't come very often to me because I never got in trouble, um, right? And uh, so every once in a while, I would hear my mom say this to my siblings, not me. She would say, you wait till your dad gets home. Oh, boy. Now, I want you to take that, and if you can, remove it from a disciplinary moment and move that to a promise of, you wait your dad's coming home. And God is saying about himself to Habakkuk in the nation of Israel, you wait, I am in my rightful place. You wait, Habakkuk, I'm in control. You wait, yes, discipline is coming. Yes, I will do what I need to do to bring justice, but Habakkuk, you wait, I got this. 
I am in control. I know the right time. I know what you need. I am in control. I will guide you. I will lead you. If you'll get in the watch post and look on the horizon for me, I will move on your behalf in ways that you cannot imagine. You can't stop me. You can't force me. And back it, just in case you're wondering, I'm on the throne. And just in case you came in here this morning wondering about the character of God, I want you to know something. He is on His throne. And if you came in here like the parents in the first service who are awaiting medical news for a child, they were able to stand with me in the service and say, God is on a throne. To the parents in the second service who've been praying for their son for 30-some years to be freed from some addictions and some struggles. And this Sunday to look out on the horizon in the sanctuary and to see that gentleman sitting there and come up to me afterwards and say, God really is in control. For 30 years they've been praying for that moment today. They've been waiting patiently, actively writing it down, pursuing the Lord. And he moved in his timing, in his way. And they could not stop it. This morning, I know a lot of you are waiting. You're waiting through some disappointment. You're waiting through some struggles. And today, you're waiting, but know while you're waiting that we know that God has moved on your behalf in the past through your sins, and we know that God is moving in your life today while you wait.